and being the 26th of June, we might look back at the 24th of June as a particularly good day for the unborn, a day on which at least the United States Supreme Court has made it such that, uh, at least on that level, they say, nope, uh, abortion is no longer an option from that side. We'll discuss it more, but of course that shoots it all back to the states and makes everybody mad on the uh, pro-abortion side and makes everybody rejoice on the side that says, hey, we've been waiting for this for longer than I've been around, um, since 73, right? So nearly 50 years, and say, great, this is, this is an awesome and a, an impressive uh, victory, but it's certainly not the end of the road. In fact, there's, it's just a point on the road, but it's an important point on the road, and I think that's important for us, to, um, for us to recognize that as Christians and celebrate victories, remember things like this, and uh, maybe if we can play our cards right, we can turn the month of June into pro-life month instead of pro-perversion month. Um, that is something. I say we go for it and, and make much of it. Um, so I want to talk a bit about this um, and then run through a little bit about abortion and infanticide or neonaticide is a new word I learned, uh, which is, you know, you think of neonatal intensive care unit or something like that. So newborns, neonatal. Um, so the uh, abortion in our, in the kind of modern world has become particularly in the West here, a surgical issue. Right? There are surgeries that are done uh, to, to abort where there are many different ways to try to get women's bodies to not have the child that's in it. We can explore some of that a little bit in number three. Um, just different ways in which people have killed their babies through the years, uh, through the long centuries. It's certainly not a modern thing. It's, it's a very much a human thing and a, and a struggle that we have in humanity and particularly with women. So the number one, though, just kind of starting and, and looking at what's going on, so the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization was just decided by the Supreme Court. Of course, the uh, uh, majority opinion was leaked a few weeks back in, uh, in an attempt to, you know, muscle the court. And, of course, the court, and we don't even think about it this way. We think, like, let's get our guys on it, and so we can, you know, have the, have the Supreme Court make some good decisions, which it's hard to argue with that, right? But the whole point of the Supreme Court and our Constitution is that it is apolitical. It's not being pushed around by the will of the people. It's not being pushed around by the will of the politicians, whether they're elected and represent or unelected and don't represent. It's, it's not supposed to be that kind of body. It's an apolitical body. But the problem is people are not apolitical. Right? That's, that's really the struggle there is people are political. And so, therefore, therefore the people filling the, the office of a Supreme Court justice not only bring their own politics, though they're trained as part of their training to kind of separate their own political desires and what they want from the actual text of the Constitution and, of course, the other decisions that have come along with that as well. Um, I'll mention, and many of you probably know more about this than I do. I'm very happy to have you chip in. But how the Supreme Court works and what's going on, is, there's, there's a lot to talk about and understand how the Supreme Court works and what has gone on. Of course, this Dobbs decision, uh, we've heard greatly, uh, and, you know, seen it on our social media and on the, uh, listen to it on news or anything else, overturns, as it says, Roe versus Wade. I'm not entirely sure. I was reading, um, you, can, you can go to supremecourt.gov and find all the court decisions and I think all the opinions along with them and things like that. So it's all kind of there to be had and, and read through. Of course, it's enormous um, and takes a good deal of power to read through that and understand it as well. Um, but the, the legalization nationally, right, federally, of abortion which, of course, back in 1973, 
came down with the Roe versus Wade decision from the Supreme Court. Many of the states at that time already had, you know, various legislation uh, either protecting abortion, saying that's a that's a that's a procedure that is that the state is not going to interject itself into and say you may not do this, because we have to understand that's exactly what anti-abortion laws are. Is the state saying and saying you're not going to do this thing? We're not going to allow you to do this with your body or the child in your body or else. The state in interjecting its power is saying don't do this, right? So we have, they have to at least think about it that way. Uh, there's no question about that. It's the, same, it's the same thing as the state interjecting into your life saying you're not going to take that shiv and ram it into the flesh of that guy you hate, right? You're not going to go murder somebody because our laws are on their bodies. And our laws protect their bodies from your hate and your anger and your murderous intention, right? Well, the same thing would go here with unborn. That the state is interjecting, saying you're not going to. You do not have the right to exercise your freedom of murder against so-and-so. And the same thing goes for the unborn child and the protection of the mother. And if you're going back to Roe v. Wade, the third option. So there's the, there's the life of the child, the health of the mother, and kind of decorum. How sexual, how laws around sexuality and abortion should be, right? What, what, what kind of society we want to live in. The Supreme Court didn't really pick up that one as it worked through this in Roe in 73. It picked up the latter two, the health of the mother and the protection of the unborn baby. So those are kind of the three things in view with Roe versus Wade. Yeah. So the state has already, as I understand it, and I could be wrong, somebody correct me, has already made a statement that reflects the Declaration of Independence of this country, that law, that law of the land, and it's probably embodied in the Constitution as well as various other parts of it, each state has their own state constitution. You bet. That grants life, protects life, and so then there, the muddled water uh, obviously is, wait a minute, it's an apple, it's not a human, and all that other stuff. Sure. It's, that's just haywire, but... So the state's already injected itself into saying that you you, bet. you cannot kill this child. Though even if that's the case now, and that was the case in the 70s as well, some states had, had made, had legislated protecting abortion, saying that is something that the state will not interject itself into. Other states at the same time says, no, you, you do not have the freedom to do this, and we will interject the, you know, the state's power in there. And then, of course, in 73, it's all, it's all shocked because the Supreme Court of the land said, nope. Right, uh, just look, just like with the Burgerfell a few years ago, right? There's you, you got this debate going all across the nation in various states, thinking of California about homosexual mirage, and the Supreme Court just stops it. The discussion's over. Thank you very much. The Supreme Court has ruled, uh, and in, in this case, they ruled in a way that even at the time, everyone knew was crazy. Right. Yes, sir. There are a bunch of kind of things that come together and make it kind of complicated. So there's a difference between defending oneself or defending one's house, kind of like you're talking about. Um, And then what what we're kind of focusing on this morning is the murder of little ones, either in the womb, like abortion, or even as they are born, which we call infanticide. So we're going to focus in on that. And those other issues that are kind of related, I'll just kind of leave to the side and let you ask your dad about. (laughs) Good questions, though. Other questions? Sorry not to answer them. 
Okay. Just one other yes. The left is ha- happy to say the law is settled. Nothing is settled. Obviously, the Supreme Court is not even settled. No, and the Supreme Court was richly divided at the time, though, though, though Roe v. Wade was a 7-2 decision. Right, so there are nine, just to kind of throw up some details that, and again, you pick this up and run with it and, and say more. But there are, there are nine justices on the Supreme Court. It hasn't always been that way. It's varied through time. So even the current thing of packing the court, extending, you know, having more justices on the court, well, that's feasible historically. It's the number of justices has moved around. It hasn't just been nine that descended from the heavens or something. However, um, in the current situation, you can understand exactly why they'd want 13 or 15 members on the court because they don't like where the court is right now, right? There's this conservative court, which is to say they're actually looking at the Constitution and looking at the decisions and opinions like from Roe and from uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is in 1992, and other ones as well, saying they were just making it up. They were just making it up. Those justices at the Supreme Court, the particular ones that wrote the opinions for Roe v. Wade, just made a bunch of stuff up. It wasn't saying, here's the Constitution and what it says, here are the laws. They just kind of made it up, which I have there. Uh, Lochnerizing, which is a, anyway, a, listen to one you know, legal scholar who's kind of going over Supreme Court decisions and various civil liberties and things like that. Then there was a decision the Supreme Court came to in 1905. I think it was Lochner versus New York. And I think it was, a, it, was a, um, it, was a, it was around financial things. I can't remember the case. But the Supreme Court came down and decided on that case, and, and then they're, in their opinions, uh, they just made it up. It wasn't like, here's the baby. You know, there, there's an ordinary way that justices argue. Right? They say, well, here's, here's the right. We can locate it here. And here's the state's uh, like, response to that right. You know, the, uh, and there, there are lots of pieces in, the, in a regular justice's report or an opinion on the decision that these decisions just don't have. They're not there. They don't have the regular uh, roots to the Constitution and to prior uh, decisions that, that we're looking for, that, that, you know, that the scholars are looking for as they're weighing out these decisions and what they mean. Okay, so Roe v. Wade was a 7-2 decision, so that's, that's pretty significant. Um, Obergefell, you remember, in 2016, was 5-4, right? so very split court there. Um, and, of course, Dobbs here was 6-3. Right, so it, most of the time the court's divided on things, right? Uh, they're looking at it in different ways. They're making different legal arguments. They have different ways of addressing legal doctrines, and it's all very complicated. There's, there's a ton to know and a ton of stuff to pull together to do this kind of work. Um, but at the time, in 1973, uh, the court was enormously divided uh, on the reasons for abortion and on the stated reasons given, which, anyway, from, uh, I'll ask you any questions. I, I think I'm done talking about Roe. Yeah. If I understand correctly, though, the three judges that he abstained, he did not vote for Roe? Okay. That could be. I'm not sure about the vote. Though they did write um, opinions. Right? So you have, you have uh, I think. It's almost like a no vote. I mean, almost like a not voting at all. Not one way or the other. Okay, I, I hadn't heard that on the on the uh, on the three. I, thought, I assumed there were normally three negative votes, and then they did their um, you know wrote their opinions as far as what they thought of the decision. Uh, but that may be something. Yeah. 
like from the pro-life movement about this. It's something I hadn't really thought about before. Um, as far as like Supreme Court rulings, you know, like the abolitionist divide between abolitionists and incrementalists and all this. Stuff. One of the things the abolitionists say is that like, because you know, the states will say, well, we're subject to the federal law. But they're like, there's lots of times where the states don't. They oh, yeah. just say that law's not right, and they can do what they want. Like say Brown versus Board of Education. Right? They're yeah, right. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not constitutional. They made a bad ruling. We're just going to be one. Or they never want it. Totally. Yeah. Just legal, uh, illegal federally. Anyway. So Schedule one, baby. Something I hadn't thought about before is, like, sometimes the state, we need to call the state to sort of say, no, that's not. <laughs> yeah. Know, even though it's maybe federal law and land, it's not constitutional. Yeah. And that's the case now, too, where <laughs> even, the, you know, we got these big, you know, marches in places like Jersey City and stuff. It's like, well, this isn't going to touch New Jersey, right? This decision will not touch New Jersey, except for it will probably bring more people into New Jersey um, for abortions. The whole West Coast is, you know, up in arms. Is, is, is abortion going to, like, fall in Oregon? Hardly. Uh, not anytime soon, right? So anyway, they got their little undergarments and twists and so on. Um, but it's conceptual, right? It's not. In the, but in other states, Wyoming, wherever else, uh, who they've had laws on the books from 1973 saying as soon as as soon as Roe is overturned, this is the position of the state, right? And you know, so they've had those on the books for years, waiting for Roe to be overturned. And so we have this again, this great division. It's been it's been, it's been a dividing issue all the way from the beginning. But it has been. As much as any other thing in the United States, um, it, abortion is a, a divisive issue. And when we look back at Roe versus Wade, I haven't, I have not read, and it's not like I've read a lot of legal scholars. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but anyway, the, the ones that I have read, nobody has any respect for Roe versus Wade. They want the abortion that comes out of it. They want that right. But as far as the actual uh, reasoning from a Supreme Court and decision, it's like, well, all the things that you'd want from a Supreme Court decision, it doesn't even offer. It doesn't even try to offer. It's just, it's, it's just charting its own way. The court is doing something new. And you have that going on all through the 70s and, um, and, and so on. So, the, you know, the court changes complexion through the years, and we currently have a conservative one, which is good, uh, because the other ones like to just make up rights. Right, make them up. And uh, even in the decision here, the kind of the crazy uh, or whatever they call the, uh, the, the short version before you read the whole decision, it says the court is reluctant to identify rights that aren't specifically mentioned in the Constitution. Now, the Ninth, the ninth Amendment says, hey, there are other rights out that, aren't, that are not enumerated in this document. And, of course, those rights are relegated to the states or individuals. Right. And so Roe v. Wade grabbed onto that Ninth Amendment and said, well, this is one of those rights. The right to privacy is one of those rights that's not mentioned. And the right to privacy had gone back before Roe v. Wade. There's, there's some privacy things and trying to figure out, the courts trying to figure out with illegal search and seizure and other things. Is there, is there behind the text a right to privacy for a person to kind of do what they want or conduct themselves how they want with their own material that's, that's not stated in the Constitution, but it's back there assumed in the Constitution. Well, that's a legitimate question to ask. Don't we ask the same thing when we read the Bible? Right? Say, okay, well, what, what's behind here? What makes this make sense? That's like church membership. Right? You look at the like, things in the Bible saying what the church is supposed to do, and you think, well, behind that has to be a membership role somewhere. Right? There's got to be a way for the church to know who's in the church and who's not, and what responsibilities the pastor and elders have, and so on. Right? So there's, we, we read the Bible that way. We try to do it carefully. 
And I think it's legitimate to read the Constitution that way, too, to try to understand what's behind this. Um, well, one thing that, you know, not only just making it about a whole cloth, but making up such a deal um, where it's tied in with medical technology and things like that. It's not normal kind of like court decisions. They're kind of supposed to be timeless and not tied in with the changing moods and abilities and technology uh, of people. So, for instance, Roe v. Wade introduced the trimesters. Right? The trimesters weren't a thing. Like, no one talked about trimesters of pregnancy before Roe v. Wade. But the reason they did that is to say, well, the third trimester is where the, the fetus, we always want to call them fetuses because we don't want to murder, like, babies, but we can chop fetuses up and sell them to whoever, right? So the word just is like a, a verbal shell game that goes on there, and people kid themselves. Anyway, um, where was I going with that? Trimesters. So, yeah, this is just introduced, right, as, as like not just this, an ordinary Supreme Court decision, but almost like statutes coming down from a legislature, right? The, the, the legislature got together and said, here is the organization of this thing and the law we want. But this is a Supreme Court decision. It's not a legislature speaking. But they're speaking like the legislature. And, and just, you know, does the Constitution say something about trimesters and viability or undue burden? upon the, and, that's, and, by the way, that's a brand new thing in Roe, too. Um, the state would have to show that it has compelling interest to interject itself into something, or it has a rational interest. Those are the kind of two ways the court would think about what it's doing relative to the, the people uh, where a row introduces neither a, a, you know, the state interest that's compelling nor a rational state interest, but an undue burden. Right? So, that's, again, there's just a bunch of new stuff thrown into the whole mix with Roe. And everyone's all confused walking out of it, including the court, including the American people. But what comes out of that mess is the right to kill your babies. And that's, of course, what is being screamed about in the streets. Is taking that. I can't believe my daughter is going to grow up in a, a country where she has fewer rights than I did. Uh, I guess that's an argument. <laughs> Mostly it's something I ignore and just let them say it and move on. But, um, yeah, we shouldn't have the right to kill unborn babies. That's not a right we should have. It's not a right anyone should have. Um, I, so to say that our daughter is going to grow up with fewer rights, if those are the rights we're talking about, Praise the Lord. They don't need those rights. And so on. So, anyway, that's, I'm not, again, I didn't want to really talk about Rose so much um, as kind of moving into thinking a little biblically about life and the taking of it. So, any other comments on either Dobbs or Rose? Yeah. It says fetus is a Latin term meaning little one used to describe a stage of development just like infant or adult according to the law of biogenesis. A fetus conceived by human parents and growing according to the instruction of its own human genetic code is, by definition, human. There you go. Um, yeah, but I think the word is used almost by definition to dehumanize. Right? That's the point of it. Uh, though, it's, it's, anyway, you're not having an apple, you're not having a kangaroo. Right? Uh, you're having a baby human. That's what humans have, right? Um, so, again, we, we play these little shell games with words, and if you can see through that and kind of call it, then maybe half the battle's done in the conversation you're having. Right? We are talking about a little human being in the womb of a mother. Do we have the right to put that human being to death? Has a human being, according to God's law, done something worthy of death? Well, the answer is on one hand, yes. In Adam, we all died. But that's the case for all of us. And laws that govern human life, as we'll talk about, because we're made in the image of God, would still apply, even after the fall, because those laws were given after the fall. Right? So just because we're worthy of death before God does not make us worthy of death before men, right? There are certain break, you know, certain infractions or uh, breaking of the of the commandments that might, like murder, make someone worthy of death before men. Uh, we'll discuss that in just a second. But 
that's obvious enough. Number two, let's just kind of track ahead because we're not making a whole lot of progress. Pregnancy, delivery, babies, even uh, children generally have always been difficult, especially on women. Like, is there any doubt about that? No. I mean, that's just the way it is. God's made it this way. As I see Genesis 3.16, which is the curse of God on Eve. Her, her pain in childbearing will be much increased and so on. Okay, and I think that's not only the, like, the physical realities of carrying the baby and delivering the baby, there's that, but there's the whole life of nursing and, and, and being a mother, right? Being a mother, um, yeah, is it, it, is it has, has all of its own challenges. And that God's given those specific challenges to mothers, to women. And so a lot of this is just trying to avoid that. Right? We don't want these troubles as a woman. Partially because feminism wants women to be men, or at least a certain section of it does. Um, and then you get those kind of things, well, if men had to have babies, then this would all be different. Well, of course it would. If up or down, it would all be different. If black or white, it would all be different. But it's not. And men don't have babies. Birthing people are women. Uh, right? And so God's given women this responsibility and this burden. Okay? Well, that's part of your burden of being a woman and a mother. Uh, and we, we can't get away from that. Uh, but, especially with anyway, all the anger and troubles going on now, we do need to be thinking directly as a church, as families, as individuals, how to better serve women and babies and young families. Uh, because many abortions aren't just the unmarried 17-year-old or whatever. Many abortions come from mothers. They've had three or two or three kids. They can't, I can't imagine having any more. I'd just die, and so on. Um, and that's an impetus for abortion as well. So we need to be thoughtful and prayerful about all those and quick to try to meet needs. We have to do that as Christians. And Christianity, historically, has been great at that. We're renowned for the, this kind of help of the poor and of the needy and so on. But we can't drop the, we can't drop the ball now in our turn, right, in our, in our generation. Um, any, any thoughts or questions on the, just the difficulty of being a mother and, and that this is something God's given to women? And even, it's cursed, right, because of sin. It makes it even harder. Uh, I think it would be harder anyway. But any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, Kim. I just say, too, I don't understand the culture's, like, malignment of adoption. You know, the, like, the choices are, you know, I can never give my kid away, but I can kill it. You know, but that's seen as a preferable thing to, like, putting it in another home. I mean, I, I get, you know, adoption has its difficulties. I'm not oh, sure. it's perfect or anything like that, but... It just seems like maybe we as Christians and pro-life have failed to get that message out. Because you don't, yeah, it is difficult. And maybe you do have five kids. Maybe you can't do another one. Maybe you could place it or give it to somebody else who could love it and take care of it. Yeah, yeah, right. Adoption's awesome, and it's not talked about that much. Um, And just as a kind of point as far as how we're dealing with people on this, um, in the interactions I've had celebrating uh, the Supreme Court decision, most of what I get back for people who are not celebrating the Supreme Court decision are the problems that we run into in society. There are problems with women. There are problems with babies. Like, we don't need to deny those problems to celebrate the, the Supreme Court decision. We need to recognize those problems and work to fix them, right? So the, the, the progressive liberal, and they're, they're neither progressive. They're progressing toward death. I don't know if you want to call that progressive or not. It's a regressive. And liberal means free, What's, what's freer than the murder of infants? Anyway, uh, it's, it, it's none of those things. All the things we call it aren't true. Uh, but this kind of bloodthirsty thing going on, um, yeah, we need to say that that's not the answer. Murdering babies, maybe even God's not the answer to these problems. They're real problems. 
We don't need to deny the problems. We need to find the correct solution. And murdering babies isn't it. Okay, I think that's a pretty easy way to go about kind of, you know, not, not dismissing the issues, but actually trying to engage those issues and, and help where help is needed. Um, yeah, Miley. And in particular, this one may be reaching out to a pregnant mom you see at the store. Say, hey, I'm so happy you're pregnant. How's your, you know, engage, and you might find they're unhappy about that pregnancy. Well, there, there's maybe a ministry for you. There's something right there, you know. Anyway, just engaging the people around us um, and thinking of this particular thing, encouraging babies, encouraging people to have children, encouraging moms that seem like they're, you know, walking in the store and they're barely keeping it together, um, or those moms that are walking this store and look just great, but they're still barely keeping it together. Because um, we're all barely keeping it together. Uh, so engaging people, right? like Maya said, just getting, getting uncomfortable and making yourself available, I think is, is part of part of what we have to do here as Christians as well. Calvin. I was just saying, I mean, it's called a comfort zone for a reason. It's just uncomfortable believing. And that's the thing that's most, so obvious that most people wouldn't notice it. And that's why people That's the entirety of why people so we, we build ourselves, rightly so, to be comfortable. But God calls us to be uncomfortable sometimes. Right? It's not bad to have your own comforts, but it is bad when those are your idols and you won't reach out. You won't look out. You won't extend yourself. You won't make yourself uncomfortable. So that's, you know, that's part of our ministry as Christians here. Yeah. And I think our suburban culture uh, magnifies our desire for comfort. We kind of live that way. We don't see it. We don't notice it. But if we kind of compare ourselves to world history and people, it's like, ah, yes, we really do enjoy many, many, many comforts. And that's kind of where we live and want to be. So keeping all that in mind. Yeah, Ed or Kim? Yeah, I mean, pretty close to the thing of our cross. I mean, there's something comfortable about that. The cross is not a massage chair. Like you look at some like Ray Comfort or whoever, you know, people that say they look pretty comfortable. They've been doing it a long time, right? They, they're practiced at engaging people. So whether it's comfortable, it's probably just like you might think standing up in front and speaking would be uncomfortable. Yeah, but you get used to it and get better at it, right? And I think our engaging with people and our being uncomfortable 
is along those lines as well. We get better at it as we go. Or we just don't know we need to know it. So let me do this with our five minutes left. Um, consider it even quickly. We'll turn to Leviticus chapter 20. Um, as I mentioned at the very beginning, the murder of either unborn babies, abortion, or the, bur- or the murder of newborn babies, infanticide, um, and so on, is, is something that's not, it's not a modern problem at all. It goes all the way back. It goes all through all cultures. And so it's something that's a human problem. It's, it's an issue of sin. So look at Leviticus chapter 20. We'll just read these first verses of it. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of strangers who sojourn in Israel. Now, sometimes God's law goes for just the Israelites. Sojourners don't need to obey. That's not for them. That's expressly stated sometimes in the law. This one's like, hey, anyone in the land. Anyone who's in the land is going to obey this commandment. Okay. Um, okay. Or, so the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel, uh, who gives any of his children to Moloch, uh, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Moloch to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people who are in the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Moloch and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and cut them off from among the people, among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Moloch. And there are a number of actually passages we can pull together on, on the worship of Moloch. Here you see not only God says not, not only is anyone in the land an Israelite or anybody sojourning, so, you know, an Amalekite or whatever traveling through doing business doesn't get to or, uh, you know, sacrifice his children to Moloch. Make them pass through the fire is another, like, uh, biblical terminology uh, of this one because that's exactly what they do. And oftentimes it was the firstborn son. And, uh, and I'm not sure, scholars don't appear to be sure either, but I'm certainly not sure, you know, what, what's in view and what the worship of Moloch entails. And, and there's another god, Chemosh, that looks like it's, you know, maybe a similar kind of god. And it's, uh, you know, you're... At very least, I think you're looking, you're looking for blessings and you're looking for an increase in your life by sacrificing your increase. Right? Now, that, that ties in maybe with a couple weeks ago. We, we looked at Romans 11:16, and talked about the lump and the batch, uh, the first fruits and that kind of thing, where you give God the first fruits, the fat of your, of your labors, and you expect Him to bless it. This is a perverted version of that. Right? And, and God even says, the firstborn, the one that opens the womb, is mine. Animal, beast, or human, right? From the Old Testament, there's that law too. But God says this mind for life, not mind for sacrifice and death. Although from the animals, uh, that would be death, right? There would be sacrifice for them, but not for the people. So this is a perversion of, of that, right? Uh, seeking your earthly benefits from a false god by sacrificing your, your own children. Okay. Now, it seems crazy that that would be the case, maybe. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, who would ever do that? Well, they did. Okay, they did, and they did it all that's in and out, and it, it plagues Israel's history. Um, anyway, we, we see high places to Moloch, we see children, in fact, God's saying at a certain point, don't sacrifice my children 
to Moloch, right? So God's dead set against this idolatrous worship, and not only dead set against it who does it, but anyone who lets it happen. Right, there's a culpability even in Israel and in the, in the clans and the people to allow this thing to happen in Israel to say it's not just on the guy who does it, it's on the guy who lets it happen as well. And so you can see God organizes against this child sacrifice in Leviticus and various other places through the Bible as well. Any thoughts on, on Moloch as far as you know, an institutionalized religious form of child sacrifice? Because abortion is certainly kind of a kind of an institutionalized deal, and it's child sacrifice to be sure, and probably for a lot of the same reasons. I want to have a better life. I want to accomplish the things I want to accomplish. Uh, we're going, going, going. I can't stop for this baby. And all the things that come along, again, with number two, the difficulty of being a mother. And it's the struggles of pregnancy and delivery and motherhood and so on that really are a burden and really do have you not do other things that you might otherwise do. Uh, anyway, any, any thoughts on Moloch and child sacrifice? Just as that one example. Yeah, real quick. So we can't just take that page and rip it out, throw it away, and make application somehow, and you're geared to help decipher that uh, current to our lives. I mean, so he's, he's the references to Israel, not to the sea and never, the Gentiles, I think, mm-hmm. looks that way. There's a warning to the, to the church, I guess. I, I would think at least your, our initial impulse reading that would, would be just like that. So within the pe- people of God, if we know someone who's sacrificing a child, then we need to stop that, right? As a church, as the people around, as a, as a session, whatever. And, and if we don't, if we say, oh, it's okay, you just sacrifice your children, then we're culpable of that as well. And uh, so I think there's like, you know, that kind of application should be very clear um, to us. Uh, Identifying Moloch, you know, how do we identify that? Yeah, right. Well, so the sacrifice of children can be a number of things. Uh, I I would think sending them off to government-run schools for indoctrination in the world might be a form of something like this, Uh, a lesser form than killing them, just a longer form. But certainly abortion, which is, I say, two people walk alive, or one walks, two people go alive into an abortion clinic and one comes out alive. That's what it's for. That's like what happens there. Um, so there's clear, clearly child sacrifice involved in that. Uh, and again, I think for similar reasons, for our goals, the things we want to achieve. Yeah, Alicia. But I think you take what Jill is saying, and it's saying that, well, I mean, that's kind of the opposition argument, right, is if you don't want an abortion, don't have one, believe me. Alone, sure, right? sure. And then saying, well, it was in the church, you need to make sure, but we're not in your church, so let us do our thing. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure that scripture, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe it doesn't, but I don't think it supports, like, the global sure. murder of children. Sure. Good like, enough. Within the church. So I think that's probably true enough that that is toward the people of God and how we're handling our children, though I think there would be application of that out. And that's always the real challenge is, okay, well, somebody rules, somebody makes the rules, somebody organizes how society goes. Should that be based on the scriptures and with, you know, wise Christian hands? Or should it be in the hands of the God-haters? Because it's going to be in someone's hands, right? So that's, that's kind of, to me, an argument, like a very practical argument, for Christians who have the capacity and the interest to be in power, to try to exercise rule and be faithful, to do that work, right? To step into that work and do it, because somebody will rule and tell us what's right and wrong. And right now we have God-haters who call black, white, and white, black. Salt, pepper, and pepper, salt. It's like, no, no, no. I know what salt is. Um, 
because they're trying to sell. Um, outside the Bible, very, very quickly, it's, it's a, a common occurrence through every culture to get rid of unborn babies or, or unwanted babies. And there are ways to try to, like, there are a number of ways listed, and you can read the historians about different methods of trying to, you know, basically kill the baby internally and have a stillborn baby uh, from various jumping and exercises and carrying weights and, you know, constraints and different things like that, uh, or uh, different herbs that you can take or different things you can put up there that will, you know, kill the baby and so on. Those, those are all the way back and all of that stuff. But the one that comes most to the fore is just abandoning the baby, just, just leaving the baby out to be the exposure of the baby, right? Leaving the baby out to be, to die. No, no nursing, no, no milk, no food, out and exposed, and it doesn't take very long, and that baby's dead, and that's a pretty common way of handling things, not just in the ancient world, but all the way through history. And, and again, Christians were renowned for picking up those little babies, called foundlings. You found them. It's a foundling. Um, so you found them. And then, you know, then you have, you have Christians trying to sort that out, either bringing them into their families or trying to organize orphanages or ways to care for these babies. Anyway, that goes on through church history, all through church history. But the point is that this, this desire to free ourselves from the encumbrance of children and to pursue our dreams is the fuel in the tank for killing babies all the way back, including right now. Okay, so that's, there, I don't think there's any difference there. Uh, I think there might be, I'm, you know, a woman, hear me roar, and these boots are made for stomping and whatever else, the feminism and all the, that of, of, the, of the most recent decades adds to it. It doesn't help, but adds to it, because that's the very basis. You talk to someone about this who's, who's opposed to the Dodd um, decision, and they'll tell you all about women's issues and women's rights. They won't say anything, I guarantee you. They won't say anything about the unborn child. Because they can't talk about that. As soon as they start talking about the unborn child, they're in trouble. Right? So we got to talk about the unborn child so they're in trouble. Yeah? Promoted is right, sure. And, and that's, so we can look at it even in our own lives and kind of see that change in your right, linking it to sexuality and the point of detaching sex from family or child rearing. The, the wanting to detach it. I want to have as much sex as I can. I don't want to have any kids. It's like, well, God kind of put those together. Right? They're kind of put together, and, and, um, and we can't quite escape that, though we try. Uh, but you're right, that sexual promiscuity might say, oh, 50 years ago it was so much better. Okay, but 50 years before that it wasn't, and 100 years before that it wasn't, and 100 years before that it wasn't, right? So this idea that's just getting, the point is the idea is it's just getting worse is not true. In our society, it definitely is getting worse. But if we look at history, you know, it's been worse before, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Enormous. Yeah, so that kind of contraceptive... Um, the pill is enormous, and um, yeah, so that's. But you're right. You're right in linking it to that desire to make sex and sexual pleasure something that I want and can mold myself, and not how God has set it up to be, right? So the, the war on nature and on how God's made things starts there, right? The rebellion toward that, and then abortion is down the road from that, right? It's a, it's a compounding of all that, yeah. Sure. 
It's the regular men taking over. Men are good at taking over, right? And the other part of humanity to take over is women, in case you didn't notice. Uh, that's how kind of – so it's either a redeemed reality of a man like a Christ figure who in authority gives himself for his woman and protects her and keeps her, or men that just run roughshod over the weaklings because men are good at doing that. And women are weaker, right? And men are stronger. So men take advantage of that. Um, let me let me do this before I because we're late. Number four, uh, I think we can go through the Old Testament, look through the image of God. That's the very reason we oppose abortion is because God made humans in His image, and that image is to be valued and protected. God didn't make dogs in His image, so a dog abortion isn't the same thing as a human abortion because dogs aren't made in the image of God; humans are. That's the Christian biblical position. It's not because hey, there are so many people we could have, we could have had rocket scientists and solved cancer and whatever else from all these kids we've aborted, the 60 million we've aborted in the United States. Maybe we also would have had mass murderers and whatever else that came out of that. So that's really no argument. It cuts all directions, though it's true. I think that it's not untrue, but it's not a, it's not a Christian argument. The Christian argument is God says he made humanity in his image. And if we take that life unlawfully, we actually put ourselves in subjection to capital punishment. So that's from um, Genesis chapter 9. The Didache, which is a late first century document, specifically says don't uh, get an abortion and don't kill anybody's infants. Right? Uh, and the same thing for the epistle of Barnabas. Both mention abortion and infanticide. Um, uh, whether by exposure or some other way for infanticide, as something that Christians are not to do. So the, there's a long history of Israel being against this sort of thing, and, of course, the Christian church all the way back being against it as well. Um, so number five there, what is the future? What is the future in our country of abortion? Well, it's interesting right now. It's more interesting right now than it's been for 50 years. Um, and, you know, think the, uh, those bloodthirsty ones who desire abortion and are after it, and it's the sacrament of the left or whatever's going on, they'll be creative in how they go after it. And so we need to be prayerful and thoughtful and creative how we go after loving women, loving children, loving families, and serving them as the body of Christ. We have to do it. We're, we're called by God to do this work, and this is a generation we have to do it. So it's a new day in that sense for us. Not entirely detached from yesterday, but... It's, it's, uh, there's, there are new opportunities for us and new pitfalls as well. Yeah, Ray, last word. Yeah, well, in the present, it appears that way, <laughs> right? Uh, and that's, that's kind of how it was shaping up before 73, before the Supreme Court says, no, we'll tell you about all this. We'll just make it up for you. Is that cool? That's what they did, right? But before that, the, the same thing was going on. The states were kind of coming at it, as the states will do, and more conservative states or the value, whatever, have different values, and that's what we see shaping up right now. Not to mention the, uh, the hey, there's some money to be made if you want to travel, and Disney will pay for it if, uh, if you work for Disney and want an abortion. Yep, they'll fly off to New Jersey or whatever. Um, so think about that as you support Disney and other companies that want to flash rainbow flags in your face and pay for women to kill the babies. If you're into that kind of stuff, you can support that. 
Uh, I got the long, I got the year long deal for Disney Plus, so I can't cancel. I paid the money, right? Wish I could cancel it this month, but I can't. I guess I can, but it wouldn't make any difference to them. So anyway, all that to say, this, you know, that, those those parts are, are are kind of pieces of the puzzle. But the real pieces of the puzzle are your neighbor, are your coworker, are your friends around that that, that are, are lost in all of this stuff that's being put out there. And you have life for them. You have Jesus Christ for them. You have care for them. And and, and a bunch of people that you're arm in arm with in Christ that can also come and help where help is needed. So don't forget about all that ministry we have to do. Okay, let's pray.